0: Good morning. You may have a seat. Happy Fourth of July weekend. Thank you, praise team, for leading us in worship. Um, it's, It's interesting when you get an opportunity to speak and to teach, you're always trying to find something that will help it stick for all of us. And when I saw earlier this week that Alan had chosen that particular, that last song that we just sang, part of me was going to test him and see if he could sing that for the entire time that I was singing, kind of just underneath, because here's why. Today's topic is not one that I thought six weeks ago when I was assigned this week was going to be a fun one, because we're talking about psalms, and we're talking about anger. So I wanted the idea of, you know, how good our Father is and how that all plays out. I wanted that kind of as just a subtle reminder as we talk about some of these other things. So in your own minds, I want you just kind of thinking through some of the words and some of the lyrics that you just sang. So in preparation for a sermon that, quite frankly, I'm not finding very easy to deliver, I'm excited to, I'm going to ask that you join me in prayer. Holy Spirit, we just pray right now that you do your work in all of us, Father, as we continue to look at the Psalms, as we continue to look at uh, human emotion of anger and how we're to handle that and what we're to do, Holy Spirit, I just pray that you will speak very clearly to each one of us so that we can continue to grow more and more like you, Jesus. We just pray these things in your precious name. Amen. Amen. So a couple of weeks ago I ran across a quote that I thought was really interesting and kind of applicable, so I'm going to just share that with you, kind of set the stage for all of us. And it says this, have you ever noticed that many of our problems in life are the result of listening to ourselves talk rather than talking to God? Sometimes what's coming out of our own mouth, or even if it's not verbalized, but just what's running through our own head, sometimes is what can get us into trouble. So the point of today, as we've been learning with all of our discussions and and as we have read about and have been learning about the Psalms, it's how we can pray particular things that we're going through in life and bring those to our Father. So the Psalms... Right out of the chute, the psalms are really a guide to expressing complicated emotions. If you think about that, last week we talked and Kathy shared and taught on a couple of psalms that how do we deal with sorrow. I think another way of saying that, and if you wanted a sermon in a sentence, this would be it. The psalms help us to pray undignified prayers. They give us the words, they help us to express and pray with honest and with raw emotion to a good, good Father. Because I want you, as we're going through this, I want you to remember, as we so often talk about, as we so often preach about, as we, everything that seems like we do, I want you to come away from today thinking, it's about a relationship. This psalm really is about God and it's about our relationship to God. It's about His goodness, it's about His holiness, it's about His justice, and it's about how we can trust in Him. So, what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to read from Psalm 109. That's what we're going to be studying today. And you're welcome to open up your Bible, your device, but quite frankly, I'm going to read from the pra- Passion Translation. A little bit more modern language because some of this is difficult in the NIV or the ESV or whatever maybe your favorite is. So rather than struggle through some of that quote unquote old language, I'm going to try to keep it real for all of us. So just kind of sit back and again, you can follow along, but just listen to this. And it's a rather lengthy one, but I would invite you just to listen. God of all my praise, don't stand by silently aloof to my pain, while the wicked slander me with their lies. Even right in front of my face, they lie through their teeth. I've done nothing to them, but they still surround me with their venomous words of hatred and vitriol. Though I love them, they stand accusing me like Satan for what I've never done. I will pray until I become prayer itself. They continually repay me with evil when I show them good. They give me hatred when I show them love. Show him how it feels. David makes a transition from a group of people to now kind of the leader that have been doing that. Show him how it feels. Let accusing liars be raised up against him, like Satan himself standing right next to him. And let him be declared guilty by a wicked judge. May even his prayers be seen as sinful. Shorten his life and let another replace him. Make his wife a widow and his children orphans. Let them wander as beggars in the street like homeless vagabonds, evicted from their ruins. Let the creditor seize his entire estate, and strangers like vultures take all that's left. Let no one be kind to him by showing pity to his fatherless children. May all his posterity die with him. Cut down his family tree, and may all the sins of his ancestors be recorded, remembered before you forever." Cut off even the memory of his family from the face of the earth because he never once showed love or kindness to others, but persecuted the poor, the brokenhearted, the afflicted ones, even putting them to death. Since he enjoyed cursing them, may all his curses now come raining back on him until it overwhelms him with misfortune. Since he refused to bless others, God, withhold every single blessing from him. Bitterness, such vile vindictiveness was upon everything he did. Cursing was his lifestyle, so smother him now with his own curses as his just reward. This will be my father's punishment upon him and all my lying accusers who speak evil against me. Here's where it makes a turn. There's a pivot. But now, O Yahweh God, make yourself real to me like you promised me you would. Because your constant love and your heart-melting kindness... Because of your constant love and your heart-melting kindness, come be my hero and deliver me. I'm so broken, needing, and hurting. My heart is pierced though through, and I'm so wounded. I'm slipping down a dark slope, shaken to the core and helpless. All my fasting has left me so weak I can hardly stand. Now I'm shriveling up nothing but skin and bones. I'm the example of failure and shame to all who see me. They just walk by me, shaking their heads. You have to help me, O Lord God, my true hero. Come to my rescue and save me, for you are loving and kind. Then everyone will know that you have won my victory. And they will all say to the Lord, you have finished it. So let them curse me if they want, but I know you will bless me. All their efforts to destroy me will fail, but I will succeed and be glad. So let my Satan-like accusers fail. Make them look ridiculous if they try to come against me. Clothe them with the robe of guilty shame from this day on. But I will give thanks to you over and over, and everyone will hear my lavish praises, for you stand right next to the broken ones as their saving hero to rescue them from all their accusers. Wow, that's not one that we like to go to when we're looking for something to read in Psalms. You know, normally Psalms, you know, we go to Psalms for comfort, or we go to Psalms because we feel like we want to praise Or we go to Psalms because we want to meditate on God's goodness. I would dare to bet if I asked every one of you, many of you maybe have read this, especially if you kind of read through Psalms or if you've read through the entire book in a year or whatever you're, but it's probably not one that you just turn to in moments of just wanting to be with God. In fact, these psalms, these psalms that are called imprecatory psalms are psalms of anger, and it's surprising how many of them are actually in the entire book. Just listing a few, there's Psalm Psalm 5, Psalm 10, Psalm 40, Psalm 69, Psalm 139. They go on and on and on and on, so they must have a place for us. There must be a place for us. But it does seem interesting that Psalm 109 is actually one of the worst because if you listed through and actually listed those curses There are actually 24 of them. It's like, oh man, this is getting brutal. This is getting ugly. And what happens is, it seems like that there is a direct contradiction with what we've been taught in the New Testament about loving our enemies and praying for enemies versus what this is saying. So what do we do with it? The easy thing would be to just skip over it and say, (laughs) I guess... We'll just let another preacher cover that one and just be done. That was my hope six weeks ago. But it is interesting. Jesus and his disciples didn't just ignore them. I think that we can see them as instruction about how to pray, not so much about uh, exactly what what to do, but more about a heart for turning things over to God, to trusting God. I think that's really the message. So with all that kind of as a background, let me, let me just set up a little bit of just kind of understanding this particular psalm. The context of it, just so we can kind of get our heads around so that we can move forward. So again, a couple of things that I think that we need to make note of. The people that David is cursing in this particular psalm, these are not people that are just enemies over minor matters. These are not people that cut David off in traffic at the chariot intersection. These are people that are hating God. They're hating God's people. So I think we need to understand, at least to start with the context of this particular psalm, The other thing I think we need to remember is the covenantal context of this particular psalm, in particular when we think about Old Testament stuff. In Deuteronomy, we see very clearly that obedience leads to blessing, disobedience leads to cursing. So Israel and the people that David is referring to, his enemies, are actually bringing curses on themselves when they fail to honor God, and it says very clearly that that's what they are doing. I think it's important for us to also know that both the Old Testament and the New Testament have this tension of loving our neighbor, but hating evil. Loving our neighbor, hating our evil. So the loving your neighbor thing is not just a New Testament concept. Many Bible scholars also point out that the curses that we read about, that whole middle section, the kind of brutal part of the whole psalm, are poetic in nature, I found this to be interesting. They explain that sometimes the speaker, just for dramatic effect, if you will, where they pile up the horror upon horror upon badness upon badness as a sense of outrage, just to kind of express just how angry he is, rather than maybe taking every single verse and every single curse literally. And I think this one is maybe the most important This is about a righteous anger that David has against an enemy of God, not necessarily a personal vengeance that he wants to take out. These psalms, this particular psalm that we're studying today, it's fueled by a zeal to honor God's name and for the triumph of God's kingdom. They're God-centered. They're not selfish or petty or childish. I think that's important for us to remember. The other thing that I thought was really kind of interesting, that again, when you just buzz through these psalms just reading them as a checklist, because I've, I've read that psalm, not going go on to the next one, is just take a moment to think about the prophetic element that this does, in fact point to Jesus. David is surrounded by these hateful words. Untruth is being spoken about him. Think about Jesus. that should remind us of Jesus. This psalm should cause us to celebrate and be thankful for the fact that he was our substitute that he takes on the curses that we deserve and he's the innocent one but he in fact takes those on. So let's talk a little bit more particular about Psalm 109. And it seems, as you kind of read through, that the Israelites that he's referring to, his enemies, they are influential people in his community, and they are unfaithful to the covenant of God. And as I said earlier, the people of God, the people of Israel, they would have studied and they would have known from Deuteronomy that that the consequences of being unfaithful were these curses. So what David is actually asking God to do is what they have for years expected God to do when people were unfaithful, and that's to curse the wicked. The other thing I think we need to remember is that to curse God's king is a direct way of cursing God himself. It's about the honor of God's name that David is trying to hold true and why he has this vengeance, this anger. Here's the key. If you want to think about what this psalm can teach us, I'm going to come back to this multiple times. Note that David does not administer these curses himself. He doesn't do it personally. He asks God to intervene. He asks God to act. These are curses that are deserved. They're not against innocent people, so David asks God to be the one. I'm going to be more particular because this is going to be one of the key things I want you to leave with. David trusts God to intervene appropriately. So, like many of the other laments, whether they're in Psalms or in Lamentations or throughout the Bible, Psalm 109 teaches us to pray through our anger and our frustrations. So, I like to pride myself on thinking I'm not normally an angry person, but I am a sinner, and I do know that there are moments where I do get angry. So, I thought, okay, this psalm doesn't fit me, okay, but it really kind of does. Some of us, maybe we do have anger issues, but some of the rest of us, I know we have our moments where we, as disciples of Jesus, need to figure out what do we do with that anger? It teaches us to submit our will and our lives to God's will. Because, gang, we will. We talk almost every week in one way, shape, or form. We've talked about living on the fringe. We've talked about living on the edges of society. Gang, Jesus promised that we will have enemies. We will have people that say false things against us. And if you are a believer, if you are a follower of Jesus, As Kevin has been saying for nearly 30 years, strap on because it's only going to get crazier and worse. So what do we do? I think we need to learn from this psalm how to move from anger to trust to hope. From anger to trust to hope. Four things that I think we can learn from Psalm 109. First one is right from the first five verses, or the verses one through five, and that is to pour out your heart to God. Be willing to pour out your heart to God. Kind of goes back to that original quote that I said. For most of us, most of us, it is internal conversations. It is handling it on our own. It is trying to deal with things on our own, whether that's anger, whether that's sadness, whether you name any of these emotions, any of the emotions that seem to make life difficult. Pour out your heart to God. Interesting, David speaks of, he opens the psalm in praise, and then, if you want to go back and reread it, he ends the psalm in praise. So he he bookends all this emotion with praise. And as I mentioned before, so why is David so urgent to have God act? It's because his character, which is then is a reflection of it's an attack on God's character, because he's God's chosen king. Interesting that I think we also need to note that if you look in verse 4 where it says, David has done everything, everything to befriend these opponents. He's shown them love. He's prayed for them. He's done all the things that we are commanded to do in the New Testament that we like to cling to. He's done those things, but yet they continually say, Evil against him. He's prayed for them, but they repay those prayers with evil. So, what should we do when somebody turns on us? Common sense answer to that, blunt as I can be before you do anything, before you reply with your mouth, before you reply with a text, before you reply with a Facebook or a whatever post or Twitter or whatever your technology, whatever that is, before you do anything, learn to pour your heart out to God. Can you have enough discipline and obedience to stop before you reply and turn a particular situation over to God? Instead of angry, hurtful, lashing out, that, boy, is that everywhere, All the time, and sometimes it's coming from those of us who are in the pews every Sunday morning. Instead of that, could we as an act of faith, could we as an act of faith turn our anger securely into God's hands? Second thing that we see in that whole middle section, from verse 6 through 20, and that is to give your enemies to God, I've said it before. We see David specifically pouring his heart out by leaving his enemies with God. He's submitting to God's will. He's submitting to God's justice. He's submitting to God. I'm going to keep coming back to that because I think most of us, that sounds like a good churchy thing to do. But tomorrow when I get angry about something I read or something that's said, whew, I quickly forgot what was so easy to say on Sunday morning. Kevin, if you want to listen to his sermon, I have a sneaky suspicion. We've been bantering a lot back and forth the last couple weeks. I think his sermon in a sentence is going to be something like this. Are we willing to send our rage to heaven? Are we willing to send our rage to heaven rather than dealing with it in our own heart, which is not good, or by lashing out? Are we willing to send it to heaven first? Interesting little tidbit that I ran across too that I thought this was kind of a good one-liner. Interesting to note that David is not plotting. He's praying. When it comes to my anger, I'm quick at plotting about how I can get my way. I'm quick to go to plotting about how I can get revenge, how I can get even, rather than praying. So my encouragement to all of us is to bring your wounds, your hurt, your anger to Jesus, the one who is wounded for you, who is wounded for me. Again, David is asking God to give these people what they deserve according to what they've all known, based on the Old Testament principles and practices. He's asking for God's true justice. And I don't think that's wrong of us. But again, it takes a step of trust and faith that God's going to handle it, which starts by turning it over to God first. Third thing is appeal to and rest in the character of God. You see that in verses 21 through 29. When you are falsely accused, can I encourage all of us to meditate? To ponder on God's character, his goodness, his justice, his loving. I'm just sitting here thinking about when I do get angry. Those are the last things that I ponder. But it can be done. That's the beauty of the Psalms. That's the beauty of the example we've been given. Because it's interesting, because it's not going to be easy. Read what David wrote in 22 through 24. It says, after praying to the Lord to deliver him, David asked the Lord to consider his broken condition. It's like Paul tells us in the New Testament. It's, it's out of our weakness. So out of the weakness of, I cannot handle this moment on my own, God. I need you, Holy Spirit. Give me words. Give me. Tell me to be quiet. Just turning it over to him. Being willing to say, I can't do it on my own. That takes trust. So when we feel weak or defeated or discouraged or beaten or broken or wounded, can we follow David's lead? Verse 21, it says this, But you, sovereign Lord. But you, sovereign Lord which again is a matter of trusting and turning it over to him. Finally, the fourth thing that I think we can learn from this is to keep on praising. As I said, he opens the psalm with praise, and in verse 31, and 30 and 31 rather, he ends in praise. He commits to praise passionately, and he commits to praise publicly. You've heard this umpteen times, but you know what? I'll say it again. Praise is not just, we don't need Alan to praise I love it that Alan and the rest of the ones that are up here, but your praise can happen on Monday with how you're living. Your praise can be on Tuesday when people see how you react to a situation That interesting. Your praise can come out in a lot of different ways. Don't let false accusations and enemies keep you from magnifying, first song, magnifying Jesus. Praise God through our affliction. I think it's important, again, for us to know, those of you who have come to church for a long time, but man, oh man, in these situations, we tend to forget, we're not going through this alone. We've been given the Holy Spirit, and we have Jesus as our intercessor. We've got the power to do it. We just have to tap in. So why is this important? I think you're going to probably figure these out. I've kind of hit on all of them, but kind of wrapping things up. Interesting thing I ran across. I think the first reason why it's important is that the enemy will use unattended emotion as a foothold. One of the very first stories in the Bible. You may not have even read this because I just ran across this and I've read this story umpteen times. Genesis 4. It's a story where right after Cain kills his brother Abel and it says in verse 6 this, it says this. Listen, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? Downcast is a Hebrew idiom that it's talking about there's anxiety, he's despondent, despondent, he's not in a good place. Why are you downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, listen to this. Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. God, the loving Father, says this to Cain. You must rule over it. So if we're talking about anger today, we must rule over it. That's not the only place that that comes up. Think about Ephesians 4, where it says, don't go to bed while you're angry. Or I think this is what the Lord's Prayer is talking about when we say, deliver us, not, or, deliver us from evil. Or another one that I really like, way back in the New Testament. Let's see if I can find it. 1 Peter. Chapter 5, it says this, Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. goes on, Be alert of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Gang, your anger, if it goes unattended, it's like blood and water to sharks. Resist him. Standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. If you go back a little bit in in verse six before that, it says this, humble yourself. Humble yourself under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. That's the first thing I think is important. We need to handle The emotion of anger. Second thing is, and it's kind of, again, you've heard it umpteen times. It's all about a relationship. God desires a relationship with you and he desires a relationship with me. And I think it's important. I'm going to come back to what I said earlier. The Psalms help us to pray undignified prayers. And when we pray through our anger, folks... When we pray through our frustration, we can have an encounter with God. Because I think it helps us move from a God that's just words on a page, a God that we don't know. Again, many of you know my story, a God who was very much so in my head. But when you're willing to pray these kind of prayers, it's a God that moves from your head to your heart. So, I'm going to have Alan and the rest of the worship team come on up as I finish. A couple of quick questions for us to ponder. As we face our enemies, as we face these situations, as we face people that are saying lies or accusations or falsehoods or whatever it is that may be creating our anger, my first question to this, to all of us, is Are you loving them and are you praying for them? Because it's kind of like those flow charts. I'm not a mathematician, but if you take a flow chart, if you're not doing that, you don't get to go on to the next thing. You've got to go back over and start that process. Second thing is this Are you willing to have real conversations with God? to where you trust him. You've heard me say this quote more than I, are you willing to sit on the steps of your soul where nobody else goes and have those kind of conversations with Jesus? In the heat of the moment, first step might be to pray for the Holy Spirit and that power and tap into that. So I'll repeat where I started. Many of our problems in this life may be the result of listening to our self-talk rather than talking to God.